FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to an interview with Brad Cummings and the Ten Plagues, Part 4. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Thursday, March 9th in the year 2023. This is part four in the final part of a four-part series on the 10 plagues of Egypt. This is a really insightful series, and I'd really encourage you to go back through and listen to it again. And even though this was recorded back in October when I was down here in Yuba City the last time, its relevance hasn't changed. This is a deep look, really, at the way Scripture can speak to us in a historical context and how much more we gain when we dig deep into the true histories of what happened at that time. Before we begin, make sure you're taking good care of your wealth in these treacherous times. Patriots, despite the U.S. blowing through the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January, the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. While our national leadership has buried their heads in the sand when it comes to fiscal responsibility, it's all the more time for you to be proactive. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king. It's dependable. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. Think about it. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000. And it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by texting BARDS to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text BARDS to 989898 today. Remember, that's BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 today. So, Patriots, the one thing tonight that I, I just really am going to challenge everybody to reflect on in these series is this principle of what we look at as miracles. And to really ask yourself, why were miracles so prevalent in the Old Testament and why are they not today? And, I, and I'm going to get right to the point of that, kind of answer that ahead of that, but to, I think it's something we all have to reflect on, is that people had an intimate and loving relationship in God and they understood who God was. We've fallen so far now that God is like this sidekick. We can't reach him. We can't talk to him. We're supposed to pray to him. We're supposed to ask him for stuff. And, and that's not the relationship that existed in the time of Moses. Moses is working in a tight and beautiful relationship with God. 
God is working through him and telling him what to do, and Moses is obeying, and therefore many amazing things happen. But each one of us needs to get back to that. That's the real challenge, to where God is guiding every aspect of our lives. And it's not like we're looking to God every time we have a problem. And that's the real challenge in this time that we're in and the real necessity of having that relationship as we face probably one of the greatest evils and darknesses ever to settle on the earth. So with that, let's get into the last two plagues and a very good discussion about the current events of things and how it relates. Here we go. Well, what's interesting is when the hail comes, this is the first time where Pharaoh actually kind of kind of repents. He does confess that he sinned against God. And so for a moment, he's kind of going like, well, maybe I can do something to sort of restore the order. And he, and he, and he kind of he confesses his sin, but then he changes his mind. But the minute there's a sense of relenting, it's like now he's like, see, well, I got what I wanted. So in come the locusts. Yeah. And so God kind of says, okay, so the repentance was just a head fake. It was just a tool. You know, and because I, because I end up going like, why why give us that detail? There's not a lot of major real repentance when all of a sudden you get caught, and then you experience the consequences, and then we've seen our world really loves a good moment of please forgive me, I misspoke. It's like it's situational. It's just. I'm not really changing my mind and heart. I'm not really aware of what I've done. I just would like to use this as a means of getting out of my moment. Brad, we're living through that right now. That's what's the most frustrating things for so many of us as we walk around and we see this thing of we're back to normal. It's just like that was a difficult moment. I can't wait to get out to the restaurants again. I can't wait to start flying again. I can't wait to do whatever I'm doing. Nothing has changed principally, whatever that little moment was. There was a profound moment right after 9-11. Regardless of the origins of that, it was a profound moment of about two weeks in the United States. It was a moment, and I witnessed it so much in Portland. And as I give the example. There's an on-ramp that goes to Broadway off of I-5 South. And it's always busy. But it was busy for a different reason for two weeks because people were taking time to stop and literally roll down their windows and hand a homeless something. It didn't matter. It was, it was truly a heart of the giving of a, of a cheerful giver. They didn't care. They just wanted to start. They were paying attention now to the worlds that we were in. Missions were being, they were, people were lining up to buy tickets to buy people meals and hand that out. There was such a heart of a cheerful giver. And it was a beautiful moment in two weeks in our life. And then George Bush does his famous speech of basically buy a car, you know, like get back to normal. Let's go buy a car. And it literally <laughs> spends. Spend, right. And so spend. this is like Pharaoh's moment because right in that moment, there is a, there is a true repenting heart in the nation in the, or at least the, the beginnings of a repenting heart of a nation. And disrupted right in that moment comes our modern day Pharaoh Bush himself who gets everybody's eyes back and, and it all dissipates literally in a few days it's gone. And then we're back to, man, I can't wait to get back to normal. We're back to normal. Let's go buy a new car, a new TV, a new computer. Let's, let's, let's get 
our, our house remodeled. I mean, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's just incredible how quickly the slave returns to slavery. Well, it, it it's interesting. In this plague and the next one, you get Pharaoh's negotiating. It's like he's he's using repentance as a tool to try to get back some of what he wanted. And so he's saying, well, okay, you, you, you wanted the people to be released and you wanted them to go three days so that they might worship you. Well, that would take them outside of the land of Egypt. And so I'll, I'll let, I'll let them go, but they can only go, they have to stay in the land or I'll let them go, but you can't take the animals with. And it's like, God's going like, guess what, dude? I'm not negotiating. There's my way or there is the highway. And the truth is, is I'm not negotiating with you. I'm not looking for partial obedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Yes. Well said. Well said. I, I, I don't think we recognize this. It's like, because in the foxhole of the squeeze, people think, well, you know, maybe I'll negotiate with God. God, if you if you stop this, I'll serve you all the rest of my life. You just go like, you know what? I don't think any of that's real. And God kind of knows is like, we're not playing games here. You know, you get your hand caught in the cookie. You're, oh, I got this for you. No, you didn't. <laughs> that's the great one right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's what, like, you, what no, are you, you doing? What are you doing in the kitchen in the, in the, in the cookie jar? I, I, I got you a cookie, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got one for myself too, but I got one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Just a small tax. <laughs> and so, you just go like, wow, this is this is stunning in terms of once the locusts have come through, every single god they have has been shred. And then God does something a little bit extraordinary. Is he then kind of says, Okay, now we're gonna we're gonna strike at the very heart of your worship. You're out in the desert, you worship the sun god. It's now going to be dark. And it's a darkness so thick that you can feel. And darkness comes on the land. And we have to remember, I just got to, because mentally we forget these things. There's no electricity. Without, without, in darkness like we're talking about, it is dark. We're talking almost not being able to see your hand in front of you. Dark. It, it, no, they, they, no one saw each other for three days, and nor did anyone rise from his place. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know what people have experienced, but you lose all sem sensory deprivation for just a little bit. I mean, just do it for an hour. And people go mad. I mean, they, they, they literally go insane. And it's like, this is not just one day. This is three days of darkness so thick it can be felt. And wow, what a moment of a time for reflection. <laughs> that would be a point right there. I mean, it would be, it would sort of be impossible to go through this one. And not end up with an awful lot of questions because everything that you've ever believed in, everything that you ever trusted in, all your source of food, 
All your source of everything, even your whole belief system and the afterlife has all been shred. And now you're left to lie in your bed. You can't see anything. You're not even going to get up. And it lasts for three days. And I'm just going like, what is that like? What's going on? It's like... Pharaoh is supposed to be the expression of the very living God. It's Osiris, Isis, and Horus. And he's sort of like, as above, so below. He's supposed to be this reflection. And it's like the sun God is what they worship. And now it's nowhere there. Total silence. Your God isn't even pleading with you. They would be crying out for anything and everything to overcome this. And probably by day two. You've stopped interceding, and it's dawned on you, whoever's done this is the supreme everything, because I got nothing left. And still, the dude hardens his heart. I mean, do you see, I mean, for me, I look at this, and I go like, this is some profound patience and long-suffering. Well, I, I do, and I... I do see all this and I'm as we're going through I'm constantly reflecting on where we are and it's again I you've heard me discuss this kind of three phases of the war and we're in what I consider to be phase 2 of pregame not even in the main event and I think that we can we can take some of the events we've had so far and point to them and say well that's like this plague and that's like this plague I think that may be true, but I'd say we're at about three of the plagues of a coming. If we were going to compare, there's probably seven more coming and they're going to shake deeply and every person will be shaken. Cause even, even the Israelites here, when we're not talking a lot about them, but even the Israelites. They're, they're witnessing all this. There's light in Goshen, but they're going to be witnessing this. Right. And it's going to affect them either way. They, they, how they interact with each other, um, how they're seen, how they're perceived. They're physically, it's the wheat and the tares being separated. Imagine the boils. I mean, are you going to want to go hang out with somebody who has boils? Probably not. You know, the locusts swarm in, and you're going to be afraid to be like walking on the other side. You have all these other things happening as they move along. The, the thunderstorms, the hail, the these things are happening before you know it's not touching your land, but it's kind of like, I think I'm staying home today. Shock and awe. Right. I mean, you, you, you talk about you're witnessing this and, and, and let's, let's realize for 400 years, we really haven't related with this God. We don't know who he is. And now we're in a crunch time where this guy is showing up out of the desert and it used to be one of the princes of Egypt. And he's now telling us the name of God that we haven't known. And now we're witnessing all of this. And unless you're secure in his love and you've lived there in a way that you've been pickled in it. Wow. I mean, do you even know how to process this? And this is with the Israelites as well. I think this is important because even... And this is what you and I have been saying a lot is seek that intimacy with Father. They're, the Israelites at least have a framework to turn to God. But arguably, 
they're where they are because they got comfortable in this other life and they've lost their way in the intimacy with Father God. Yeah. And so they're they're being forced now. So this is even a this is a greater part of this disruption as we get there where they're now even their own reorientation, their relationship. They're going to be having to turn to God and be, they're going to likely be asking a lot of questions. They're praying. Some are going to be praying in panic and fear. They're like, what is this? What is this? Because they're not going to process this in that calm and, and beautiful way where God's just like, look, all I'm trying to do is get you to break and come to me. Turn and put your eyes on me. Think of the fact they accepted their slavery. They cried out and it's like they, you know, it's like some of them were crying out and wanting to be delivered. Then the deliverer shows up and then they're not so sure. And then the, the folks that have been the masters over them. Everything has been shred. And if you've kind of accepted your slavery and you've accepted your lot in life and there's at least a little measure of convenience and comfort that you I mean, why else? Like in seven days from now, when they're like heading out. Only seven days into their wilderness trek, they're wanting to go back to Egypt. I mean, in light of all of this. And you've seen everything in Egypt utterly destroyed. And at this moment, starvation is what you're looking at. There's no harvest that's left out of this. There's no stores of grain. There's nothing that's been utterly shred. You're looking at palpable darkness sitting on people. Starvation is the only thing standing in front of them as their future. They have no idea when this is going to lift, if it's going to lift. I mean, the, the, the sheer psychological wow of this, I don't think people really grasp. I had a moment before the Lord where, you know, he, as crazy as it is, at one point I'm going, hey, God, where's, where is your power, really? I mean, it's like, I believe in it, but if we're honest, we're supposed to be swimming in rivers of it, and we're only splashing in two inches of water. I mean, let's just be honest. We're not seeing great displays of what you are capable of. And I'm not complaining. I just don't understand. And he, I was doing the dishes in this little guest house where we lived. And I, I heard the Lord clearly say, Brad, turn around. I turned around. And I mean, for some people, that might be odd. But I mean, it's like I just I turned around. I, I Whatever it was that spoke to me, I heard it enough to actually turn around. Saw this line on the floor of my kitchen. And I heard the Lord say, step across. So I stepped across. Instantly, I went into can't see the hand in front of your face, darkness. And I was terrified. I was afraid. The first thought I, I was like, I hope I didn't offend you by asking. I am sorry. I don't know why that's the first thought that I had, but that was the first thought that I had. I don't think I stayed there very long because it was so disorienting, so terrifying to me that I then stepped back. And the Lord spoke real clearly. He said, Brad, you'll see the kind of power you're asking about when you're willing to abide there. And in my own little snarky thought, I went, so what you were really saying is never because I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, no way. I'm not living there. Where's there? That, that is like, that's outer darkness. Isn't that? What, what is that? And the Lord said, Brad, that's what it's like to live in dependence on me. 
I gotta tell you, it's like that just I did not know how to process that because I went, why do I find that so terrifying? It was just stepping into darkness, but it was so disorienting, so terrifying. I didn't want to stay there at all, at all. These people are going through three days of that that you could feel on your face. I didn't, I didn't stand there but a millisecond. And then in the last 20-some years, God has taken me through a journey where, you know, it's a longer story, but the punchline was we were in the Yucatan Peninsula having gone two hours into these cenotes and these, these like river little tunnels underground. And the and the guy that brought us down there at the very tail end said, now let's turn off all of our flashlights. And I just want you to just experience this. And we're into water up to our chest. And you turn out all the, the lights. And the place that we're in is 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 called Rio Secreto, which in 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 um English means the secret river. And we turn out all the lights. And what's crazy is I was so at peace. I, I and, and, and heard this little voice. So how do you feel? And I went, how did you do this? This was one of the most amazing little moments of just peace. Whereas before I was terrified. Now I'm in the secret river. And I'm at peace, and God's taken me through a whole journey where it's like you've changed how I feel because I don't feel alone. I'm not frightened like I was. And all of these judgments were meant to reveal to them, I'm here, I'm in your midst. And I just go like, wow, if we only learn to turn to him. So we come to the final judgment. Then. Yeah, this one's this one's crazy, which is um, God basically kind of says, okay, in essence, I've brought you this far. And what's interesting is in, in Egyptian religious understanding, they grouped everything in nines. And what you've experienced up until now is nine nine events and they they had this whole bit they called them the Enneads because they actually worshiped the number of nine and the and the greatest Enead of the Hippos is all of their nine deities all together and then they would often talk about this nine plus one and the plus one was Horus which is the child produced from Isis and Osiris. And we really should go into this because it, it has everything to do with Washington, D.C., the Empire City States, and the whole worship of the Cabal. But it's like at this point, Pharaoh is considered like Horus. He is the son of the sun god. He is he is the physical embodiment, and he's the one who's sort of the, the pinnacle of all their worship. And this last plague is basically visiting judgment upon everything of Israel and Pharaoh himself. This is a judgment on Pharaoh himself directly and his whole future. 
because it's your firstborn. I am going to take from you your future. And you're just going like, oh my gosh. Um, this was true of every household, every animal. It's like it, every man and beast and 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 the other slave nations are they're all being affected by this and they're all having their firstborn taken. And it's kind of like, wow, the firstborn in that culture is really sort of considered the ruling elite. And that's where it was interesting to me because I'm going like, wait a minute. What what's our primary problem on the planet today right now? It's that firstborn ruling elite mindset garbage that they somehow think that you know doesn't matter what anything else they're gonna they're gonna make the decisions that affect everyone else and it's like god's taking a, a direct swipe at that and everything that 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 pharaoh is supposed to be it's all failed this is a total overthrow of everything and his royal authority and sovereignty so let me ask it was his job go ahead are they worshiping Baal? Not not direct in terms of Baal and Molech. The way uh, that really is unique to Israel's sin. Okay. Um, Baal and Molech. Um, it it takes it takes a bunch of digging into that. But at the end of the day, that's Satan. What what we call Satan, and so the reality is is Satan hides in. Uh, you know, the history of, of ancient history. And it's like a man of a thousand names. It's like he, he he's worshipped in so many different ways. So many, But for the Egyptians, they didn't directly worship Baal or Molech by name like that. But their whole ecosystem is the worship of the fallen. So, so the reason I'm asking this is while I, I'm listening to your analysis on your perspective on the death of the firstborn, it strikes me that in the rituals of the calf or ball or mullock, however you want to say it, they're burning the firstborn for good blessings. And it's, I, there's just something that strikes me here is it's as if God is taking away that blessing by bringing them to him. It's like, I gave you this first child. I'm taking this first child back. What's interesting is the, the firstborn of every womb is considered holy unto the Lord. That's just welcome to the law of reality. That that's 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 the law of gravity. It's like that's the reality of the kingdom. Oh man, do you realize what that means for me? You're holy oh. to the Lord. I'm first, I'm firstborn. This is good. Awesome. <laughs> um, when you look at that, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't know that I fully grasp this judgment other than it's directly the finger of god in the chest of pharaoh saying we think when people are worshiping the whole system that it's sort of dethroning the heavens in the egyptian belief structure pharaoh the guy the physical one is the penultimate god he is the embodiment of everything it's not like the gods are above Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the ultimate part of that, and he's there on the earth as the expression of that. 
And this ends up being the ultimate humiliation, too. It's like, guess what? It's like I've dethroned everything else that's in your whole worship thing, but now I'm coming to, you know, the opener. You said, who is the Lord? Because Pharaoh is saying, I am the Lord. I am that God. There are none greater than, than I. And God is kind of saying, guess what? No. I mean, whether whether Pharaoh just thought he was the offspring of the gods or whether, in fact, he was actually a Nephilim in terms of the genuine offspring between the gods, that's what I think it, it, it actually is. He actually believes he's not just pretending to be God, but doesn't really think he is. I think they actually think he's the, the full expression of God. And it's the so that, that go ahead. I think there's an amazing connection between first and last. I think it's incredible the way you've laid it out. So in the first plague, I'm sorry, before the first plague, which is when Moses goes up, this is before first plague. Yeah. And Moses does the staff and the snake eats both the snakes. Remember what we were talking about is that basically takes away their gateway to afterlife. Yeah. Now in the end of the plagues, God takes away the first children to him. They aren't, they, and into his quote afterlife into heaven. Yeah. It's pretty profound. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's like the dethroning of everything is complete. Yes. Is there's, there's not a single thing that's left untouched and you're going like no flipping way. And, and so at the end of this, and you've, you've mentioned this in one of the other podcasts, it's like the Egyptians at this point, are saying, hey, leave. And they're throwing their gold and their silver to them, almost like a bribe, like, please get out of here. Well, I find this to be one of the most amazing moments in all of this because the Israelites have witnessed all of this. They have seen the power of God. They're now told that once this happens in the, in the Passover to take the gold and silver and to leave. And the greatest twist in this story is they don't. I'm still stunned by this because it's literally because it's in Exodus 12 33. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in a hurry for they said we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes and their on their shoulders. They weren't doing it. And yet they were told to leave. I just find this the most amazing moment here because it's like, what else did you need? You're God. You've witnessed the powers of this. You've seen these events. You've seen now a transition, a transformation in society. You've gone through three days of darkness. And even then you're like, all right, <clears throat> that was good. Um, can we uh, get an extension on our lease? Can we get back to normal? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can we can we go back to normal? Are we are we not witnessing that right now? I, Scott, I am I'm afraid we are because I just end up going like, wait a minute. Haven't in the last two and a half years you had some you know moments of darkness to reflect a little bit? Everybody has. I mean, it's like, does anyone kind of go like, hey, when everything in this world is being shaken, at some point. Does your little bony finger of blame stop shaking outside? And does your little heart on the inside start to go, maybe I ought to consider my ways? 
If, if all of this is happening all around us, God, just perchance, do you have issue with me? Search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. I want to be living in Goshen. I want to be drawing near. I want to be wherever you are. And this whole thing was predicated at, hey, Pharaoh, world system, beast system that is going to get shred. Let my people go so that they might serve me. That's the language. So the people that have watched all this and at the end are still going like, hey, but, you know, my house on the beach in Goshen. Um, I don't know that I want to walk into the wilderness. And now they're throwing a whole bunch of golden stuff at us to get us to leave. And I'm going like, what is your deal? Are you still just wanting to serve yourself? Are you the last God to have to be dethroned? I, I, I don't know else how to read their reluctance to go like, what the heck? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very difficult time because we've gone through so much as a society. And then the desire to quickly rebound back to the same old thing. This is why I think that what's coming and I, in this phase, I think we went through a condensed version of the plagues. I think that what's coming is going to be greater and more profound than anything we can possibly fathom. Because I think at the end of the day, this nation, which was blessed by its origins, and which its people has turned have turned away from God. The same thing I've shared with you that was given to me in, in word, which was there is tear, there are tears and rage in heaven and God has now turned to look. I mean, that's a, that's the sword is coming to the earth and with you can understand from the angelic realm, there would be tears for the sacrifice and tears for the pain of walking away and the rage of asking truly like, what is wrong with you? How can we process? You know, we joked earlier, like when you're praying for dollars and heaven's like, I have no idea how to process that transaction because there's no dollars in heaven. But how do you, how do you literally process a people that are of God, children created in his image that have everything as an angelic realm that you could be asked for? And all they keep doing is like, dude, I cannot wait to get to my shopping again or get to my favorite restaurant or get on that plane to fly. If I have to get vaxxed, whatever, let's do this thing. I need to get back to life. I need to get back to normal. You've learned nothing. You've heard nothing. You see nothing. You still are walking blind. Yeah, I, I wonder if any of these people 400 years after slavery have any idea that there is a promised land and that there is a purpose that the the forgotten God that you have just stopped worshiping actually has something in store for your relationship together. I agree. And 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 it's like you know, I look at my kids have grown up with a very passionate dad who has walked for fifty some years as a friend of God. So they've been given a, a very unfair advantage in terms of how they see the life and i'm going like okay they make sense to me they're friends and at times other people that i'm going like are you not asking these questions i i really 
find it very odd that you're not plagued with them, that you're not wondering what your unique purpose is. And you're not, you're wondering, it's like, God, you know, how can I serve you? And because that, that's, that's inbred, that's innate, that that's kind of, a, that, that's a part of what we recognize is a reasonable act of service. Yeah. Our, 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 that to be a living sacrifice out of Romans 12. That's a reasonable, that's not extraordinary. That's reasonable act of worship. And I don't want to be conformed to this system. I don't want to worship all this stuff. I want to understand the modern day applications of these judgments because I don't want to suffer them. My self-preservation dynamic is, you know what? One, I don't want to worship them because I want to worship the living God. But then I don't really want to go through this if I don't have to because I'm not, I don't want to be joined to it. So get me free from this B system. God, change the way I understand economics and life and provision. Let me let me discover that you're my source. And, you know, we, we would do a great injustice if we didn't look for just a moment as the as the warning of midnight and the 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 death of the firstborn. I'm really ticked at the prince of Egypt and the way this is always described as if, oh, the death angels walking through. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I, the Lord, am going to take the firstborn. He's not sending an angel to do some like execution. It says, I, the Lord. And I'm going like, I don't have to be afraid of that guy. Right. But think of if you're one of the Israelites and you're being told the guy that's been doing all these plagues, he's now going to come and walk through the town. And you have some instructions. You need to do this so that you that that doesn't befall you. That's given to everybody at this moment. Goshen is not spared. The reality of. We're coming to the the ultimate climax of this, and now it's personal for everybody, and you need to take a lamb. You need to slay that lamb. You need to take its blood and put it on the doorpost of your home. Then you need to get inside, and then you need to eat all of it. No leftovers, no little bit. We're going to eat all of this. And that sacrifice will spare you from that outcome. That is, they didn't have a background to go like, oh, oh, so this is the Passover. <laughs> they didn't, they, they didn't know anything. Okay. They're, they're being told, hey, this has to become personal for you. You have to do something. This is not theoretical. Go get a lamb, sacrifice it. Put this on your doorposts. That's a that's a physical proclamation of whose side you're on. You got to do that. This is not being done in secret. Like I'm just going to, you know, put, sprinkle a little stuff here and there. But no, no, this is main and plain. This is whose side are you on? Who's is, who's is your allegiance to? Choose you this day who you're who you're going to serve. You're not going to do this if you aren't going to be with this God. So if you want this God, then you need to do this. 
And I, I think that whatever it all means, it's like, guess what? Every single conscience of a person has to go, so what am I going to do with this? You listen to these broadcasts, and you're going to go like, okay, wow, interesting. Never saw it that way or didn't know all that, and gee, that's interesting. It's like, no, guess what? Here's the application moment. How is this going to affect your life? I do not know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I do not know what the next year is going to be a hold. I, I tend to think it's going to be that cataclysmic is what we've walked through. And I'm going like, who do you worship? Where do you dwell? And how do you live? You have a little bit of time right now to really focus on what matters the most. And you have a chance to be as prepared as you possibly could spiritually thinking like guess what i don't need my life getting shred i'll do that proactively search me try me see me if there be let's transact this god let's 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 i mean it's what the lord's been putting in you the last few weeks and getting real kind of personal and specific mm -hmm. and because of it guess what that's the best way to remove fear of anything. Yes. You're, you're dealing with it. You're not hiding. You're not running. You're not, not you're like, well, I got, you know, it's like, I want to watch that football game. No. It's, it's like, at the end of the day, I want to get smack dab in front of the living God and go like, let's get it on. Yep. Show me, change me, transform me, please. Absolutely. 100%. And how can I serve you, Father? And how can I serve you greater? I always, I always put that piece because I think that I think we need to be challenged to step into this deeper and go farther, and we can, and it's there. That door is open. That door he has opened. I think what's most profound about this time is that these doors are opened as wide as they have ever been. He's speaking loudly. He's not hesitating. There's no, there's no real darkness or quiet hours that are going on right now. If you're reaching and listening, he's talking. And he's moving because this is a time because things are moving. Now, whatever that time is, you and I share that. I don't know if that's next week. I don't know if that's six months. I don't know if that's two years from now. It's God's time, not our time. But whatever that is, we know that this is, this is that calm, that moment of deep reflection. This can be our personal spiritual walk in God's darkness to reflect deeply and to find that place next to him and be very secure. Because it's that preparation, as you and I share, of what is going to be necessary for what is coming. And maybe what happens over this next year, like I said earlier, is little more than a, it's an action that is not very exciting. It's not the military rolling down the streets. It's rolling blackouts. It's things happening. But this is where it becomes boring and torturous. And I had that second term. Because... <laughs> The boring part is we expected something dramatic. We expected the lightning bolt to hail the size of Volkswagens falling on the ground. That's not what happens as a scenario. Which I, and I tend to think this is getting to be more realistic because now it's going to be the witnessing of areas in the world that are completely collapsing and what they're going through. And the torturous part for me, and I think you would share this, is that we're going to be witnessing people go through inordinate pain as their idols collapse, as their 
their temples fall. And it was so easy not to have to go through that. And some of that's going to be people we know. Some of that's going to be people that we deeply care about. And in other ways, it's just going to be witnessing humanity going through this. It's happening right now, in fact. And it's happening in painful ways. And it's really sad to watch because it isn't hard to turn your eyes from where you are to him. But it's going to become, I think, for everybody, it's going to become so visible and prescient that as we go through this, and, and of course this wild card that we've mentioned, which is sitting out here looming in that it is literally the elephant that's sitting in the middle of the room that nobody wants to acknowledge. Everybody's trying to skirt around. They're literally putting the coffee table underneath the elephant as it poops on the floor and you're sitting here clinking teacups and eating crumpets. But what is it? It's child sex trafficking. And it's the one thing that when the depth of what that means, that simple word, the child, the issue of children trafficking and sacrifice and blood, when that becomes so viscerally real, it will break every temple. It will crush every idol and be prepared because only the spiritually strong will be able to, I mean, when I say that talking to God are going to be able to step through that and guide. But the, temple implosion that that happens on some people's lives, that's bringing them some to the point of suicide, some to the point of dysfunction, some to the point of rage and and uncontrolled rage of vengeance and hate because it's just another layer. And this is one thing I've always said about child the child issue is it's a, it's a double-edged sword that Satan has laid. He knows on one hand that it reveals his true nature but he also knows it's the one thing that if if it's pulled inappropriately without a proper resource for people to, to connect to God to understand will destroy and break people so deeply that they won't even put their eyes on him. Mm. And so this is where our greatest role is right now in preparing ourselves. And this is one of the reasons I know that you and I talk deeply about this, why these deep repentance, this deep spiritual and physical inventories are so critical right now is because we know there is at least one thing that we look at. We can talk about what our world really looks like. We can talk about whether there's lizard's heads or not lizard heads. We can talk about the collapse of the economy. But there is one thing that we all know is there in that, in that tunnel. We all know that that train is coming at us. We just don't know when it hits. But it's the children. And when that, that reality is, comes to the visibility of all the world, in one way or another, it will break each of us in a way that we must all turn to him and unite under him to stand mighty and powerfully as the men and women of God to crush this evil decisively. Yeah, you, you, you know what's so profound in terms of just this drama in the Bible is the last few plagues, um, it's almost as if it comes to more of, of an intimate dynamic of the the theater so to speak mm-hmm. you got moses you got his spokesman aaron you got pharaoh and you got the living god and everyone else is really not so much in the direct equation and and what you see in pharaoh is the acknowledgement of sin he actually confesses. He says, first, I've, conf- you know, I've sinned, sinned against your God. 
And then he says something really interesting just before the darkness stuff. I've sinned against God and you. And there's something personal about Moses and Pharaoh. And this is where I don't know that you get this directly from the text, but I can imagine it's like at the end of this last plague and the loss of the firstborn, you got to think that Moses is sitting there going like, dude, why? Why did it? It didn't have to come to this. You didn't have to persist in your stubbornness like this. This this did not need not happen. I agree. And 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 that's the thing that I would sort of toss out is like right now, it's like I don't know where people are in their journey with w- learning to walk and talk with the living God. But what I see in all of this, I see a profound patient long suffering in God that kind of says, Look, I love you, I love you this much to knock over everything that stands between you and I and bring you to a point of stark clarity about it. Not because I hate you, but because you've been that deceived by worshiping everything else. You know, one of the most amazing things is God is a jealous God. And he's a consuming fire. And I don't think we understand the heart behind that jealousy because I think God is saying, look, I know what you are. I know who you are. I know why I created you. And I also know there's nothing else out there that is safe for you to worship that won't enslave you. I am the only God, one that there is, but two that you can worship that will lead you to freedom. Everything else will enslave you. And it will be a high price of costing you everything to worship them. And I'm I'm a jealous God. The reason I don't want you to have any other gods before me is because I created you to walk in liberty. To choose And I won't force you to choose. I'm inviting you. But you won't survive in your idolatry. That is absolutely true. Well, Brad, this has been an amazing walk through what is probably just a very casually read section (laughs) of of Scripture. And I, I really have enjoyed this entire walk with you today. Um you know, we always close with a prayer, and um, I am going to ask if you want to join in a prayer together today. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we both need to weigh in on this. Yeah, so I'll start and you can finish. How's that? Okay, sure. Uh, Father God, today has just been an, an amazing walk and, and discussion as we really have explored the depths of the love and the passion that you have for each and every one of us. And in the blessing that you've given us, you've opened our eyes to see deeply into scripture and to find some of the 
details and the keys that unlock a greater process that perhaps we've never really considered. So, Father, as we take that into our hearts and we reflect on the world that we're in right now and the time in which we live, it leaves us with deep reflection. And we just pray that those that have listened will will take that to heart and to try to apply these discussions deeply into their lives and to challenge themselves for where they are in their station in life right now. Father, our greatest prayer is that people will seek the intimacy and the relationship with you and the intimacy and the relationship with Jesus. And that's a living, breathing conversation, one that begins simply with, Father, how can I serve you better? And then just asking to have that conversation with you. We just pray that the the formations of, of some of the way that that faith has been taught, the rigidness and, and, and the structure of stuff, of things that teach people to obey rather than to pursue the love of you can be broken down. To seek you in glorious ways, to understand the glory and joy of what you bring into the world, to try to... S- ask you to guide them to see the world through your eyes, to understand a greater process to all that's happening. And in the end, to just totally embrace the fact that your love is everlasting, your pursuit of us is always there, and your arms are always open. So, Father, forever we've we've stepped off that path, we've made those transgressions, forgive us. And equally, Father, we just pray for the hardness, the toughening of our stance and the opening of our heart to you that we can now embrace this world with the courage to know that we're here in this time to do great works through the love of you and the blessings given to us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we say these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Father, I, I join with Moses in crying out against all the false gods with the declaration and demand let my people go. Lord, I ask that you'd pierce through all of the confusion, the darkness, the, the, the effects of slavery in our lives, where we have lost a sense of your name, your voice, and an ability to recognize that in the midst of all of the things we worship, Perhaps we've not seen you as being there in our midst so much as to even acknowledge you as you are actually the one true source of everything. And Lord, I ask that you dethrone what it is that we worship. I ask that you would have mercy and grant a tender heart to everybody who's listening to this, God, help them not harden their heart. I don't know how they've been hurt, abused. I don't know what they've suffered in. But would you extend a river of forgiveness in and through them so they don't get stuck? Lord, I I do. I, I ask for mercy, and I ask for a soberness to make the most of every opportunity right now to disconnect from the beast system. God, would you somehow 
get Egypt out of us. I don't even know if I recognize just how infiltrated our world is with these same gods. But I, I, I sense like they've been around for a long, long time, and we're still doing some of the same stupid stuff that got severely judged in this process. And Lord, would you give us each the clarity of how to apply this in our own life? Just one step at a time. Lord, I ask that you keep people from being overwhelmed. Be, be intensely practical about how they can respond to you. I, I, I want to eat the whole lamb. And I'm going to do it one bite at a time. And Lord, I think it's probably a pretty awesome meal of transformation that you gave yourself for us. And you did it with a smile for the, in, for the joy set before you. You endured the cross because you knew it was the means of our freedom and our transformation. And so, Lord, I ask that you would transform these people. And they would be like Isaiah 60, that in the midst of darkness and deep darkness on the people, may we be able to rise and shine because our light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. And then God, as that light shines, cause kings and queens to come to the brightness of that appearing. Your life in hours being displayed for a world stuck in darkness. And God, I ask that this might be perhaps one of the greatest glorious harvests of souls that the world's ever seen, because that's how clear the need is for you. So I ask for nations to be saved and I ask for a quickening of that harvest. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to fill and flood each and every available servant with your Holy Spirit and make them of profound use in serving your kingdom in this season ahead. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brad, thank you. What an awesome conversation we've had today. Yeah, I think it was inhabited. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt it is. I know how I feel right now. It was inhabited. It was amazing. It was great. So, Bless uh, you, my friend. Bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Well, Patriots, that's the end of the four-part series with Brad Cummings and myself. That was recorded in one sitting, and uh, and just a little insight on that. We finished the first hour, and we both felt we could, there was a whole lot more to say. The Holy Spirit was moving, and I asked Brad, I said, do you have time? He said, yes, and we just went, and before we knew it, it was four hours into this. I tell you, when God is moving, he's moving in ways we, we lose time in space when it happens, and there's a lot in there that even when I've gone back through myself, um, it's it's insightful and, and surprising what God puts on our puts on us to speak when He's moving through us. 
We're in a very interesting time and one that's going to require increasingly that we dig deeper and deeper into him. You know, I spent this week down here spending an entire week from 9 a.m. to 9.30, 10 o'clock, sometimes midnight, every night, digging into spiritual warfare with some of the best people in the nation. And it's opened my eyes to a level of reading in, in Scripture and to the realities of what are, are around us that most of us are foreign to. Get to understand what's being put here because the gods that God went, that our God went after, what we will call the idols of Egypt, are very real. They're competing for the powers and the principalities. They will never win. But the problem is that we're clumsy, we're lazy, we're, we're irresponsible, we're reckless. And we forget where the one power comes in everything. And we forget how important it is that in every breath and every step that we make, we're either making a contract with God or we're opening ourselves up to make a contract with evil. This war is real. It is vicious. It is intense. And we're in the middle of a battlefield. Unfortunately, we've been lulled to sleep. Satan has convinced a large percentage of the world that he doesn't exist, and he's, he's convinced almost every pulpit in the Western world that he has no power, all of which are lies. We're here in the middle of a battlefield. Our armor has to be put on every day. Our focus has to be on him. Jesus died on the cross, and it's the blood of Christ that sealed the contract in blood to remove our sin, but that doesn't mean our job is over. It means it just begins. So it's time that we do everything we can to dig deeper into him, to come to know him personally, to listen to him, to hear what he has to say, and to follow what he leads us to do. That's a discipline. Like every soldier, you have to practice and you have to be disciplined in every motion and every breath. Have a blessed night. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press in, into the fight. God is with us. He will never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we're here in this time in this place for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you Sunday night for Peace Be Still. Until then, or until the next time, God bless, good night, thank you, and out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the Get back in